Welcome to episode 21 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. I come to you today from a sunny patio in Carefree, Arizona. Um, like I said, sun's out, birds are chirping, the music is playing on the patio, and you know there's a bunch of laid-back folks, local folks, you know, enjoying the vitamin Ds and uh, enjoying the carefree lifestyle. Uh, Sarah and I, we just wrapped up a week-long road cycling camp with the crew from the Cycling Centre out of Oakville, Ontario. Uh, it's been a great opportunity to escape some of the northern winter conditions, uh, which unfortunately are, I think are, are still present by by what we're seeing online. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a great place to be if you've never been. It's uh, Carefree is north of Phoenix, um, well north of Scottsdale. It's um, a western themed relatively undeveloped nook um, and if you're a road cyclist in uh, phoenix it's quite often where the weekend riders will uh, come to carefree and they'll they'll go to the coffee shop as kind of their halfway point and then uh, ride back to the the busyness of um, downtown phoenix so yeah yeah enjoying the weather enjoying the lifestyle enjoying the riding um, getting some base mileage in for the the season and uh today um I think what we're going to do is a, a Q&A podcast, and uh, I'll do these every once in a while as, as, as questions build up, so questions that I get emailed through info at bikepack.ca, um, and then through our social channels on uh, Facebook and Twitter, and uh, through the talks that, uh, that we're doing, and uh, yeah, just kind of mix things up from uh, the regular round of interviews. So today, um, I think I've got like six or eight questions. Um, this is totally unrehearsed. I just wrote down the questions and uh, the answers. Uh, they'll, what you're hearing is, is, is you know, just as it comes to me. So the, f- the first question I got is from uh, Bikepacker UK. Uh, make sure to check them out on uh, Facebook. Uh, you know, another one of those local community groups trying to stoke the, the bikepacking conversation. So Bike Pack, Bikepacker UK asked, have you ever done the Tour Divide and uh, what bike would you use? And they also said, uh, great podcast. So um, thank you, Bikepacker UK. I, I appreciate uh, the interaction. Um, I have done, I've raced the Tour Divide twice, uh, so the full route. Um, I've also run a supported tour from Banff uh, down to Whitefish, uh, the Whitefish Bike Retreat. Um, for three years um, so I do have quite a bit of experience um, with with the trail um, I've also kind of randomly toured pieces of it over the years um, what as far as what bike I would use um, quite often what I tell folks is like it, there's one thing if you're touring it like I usually say if you're touring like don't use this conversation as a, an, an excuse to go buy a new bike you know just make the best of what you got you know whether it's full suspension hardtail um, you know cyclocross to some extent um, yeah use what you got I think that's you know the beauty of bike packing it's, there's there's not a, a one size fits all type of answer when it comes to the, the racing end of it though um, there is a bit more strategy involved um, I think most would be in agreement with me that uh, the gold standard is a is a hardtail 29er uh, mountain bike, and then I know quite often um, you know the front end of the pack will go with a fully rigid um, fully rigid uh, setup. Uh, so you know myself, the last time I did it, I had a carbon 
uh, rigid fork. It's it's uh, light and quick for sure. Um, it is quite hard on your hands. Um, so, you know, strategy I've adopted over the years is um, I, I'll use a wider ergon grip and then uh, wrap my bars with, um, you know, a padded uh, cork or, or gel tape to help combat, you know, the, the lack of uh, suspension. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I think the gold standard is a, is a hardtail uh, 29er. As far as brands go, um, I... I honestly, you know, like I've had sponsors over the years and I know I will have sponsors in the future, but, um, you know, for those of us that, that are kind of in the know behind the scenes, um, you kind of start to realize that a lot of the bikes are kind of all made in the same factory or similar factories over in Taiwan. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes the same brands will use the exact same mold for their bikes. It, it really just all comes down to, um, branding. So, I don't pay too much attention to the brands. Um, of course, I, I'm happy when someone uh, gives me a bike to use, and I'll definitely rep their brand. Um, but as far as frame types go, I, I, something I've come to appreciate is I, I definitely, if you're going to pick one frame, is is use one with a bit more frame space. Um, that middle frame area and uh, having a bag in that section, that's kind of a key area to hold... Um, heavier items uh, that you don't need to access on a regular basis and uh, the last bike um, bike sponsor that had Giant, um, they unfortunately didn't make bikes with very big middle triangles and uh, I couldn't ever have a, a middle triangle and would have to use a backpack quite often um, so yeah, if I had to choose a Hardtail 29er and a brand that has larger um, middle triangles um, of course, Salsa is kind of leading the, the branding charge and, and bike specific to our niche, but there are definitely options out there. Cool. Thanks, Bike Backer UK. Um, kind of a similar question is, will you run another supported tour on the divide? Uh, we get this question probably at least once a month. Um, I think the last time I was asked was by a few friends at uh, the Calgary Bike Show uh, back in March. Uh, they, you know, there, there are some tell, you know, big tales of, of the grandiose adventures that we had on those tours. And even though it was just three tours, it was, uh, quite the epic experience for all involved, uh, crew and riders. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of return riders and, um, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of interest to keep going with it. So maybe I'll, I'll tell you, I'll be transparent with why we stopped, um, why we stopped was, um, one, I could never make the economics of it work. Um, I always had a hard time charging what I thought it probably should cost to make a profit. So one, we never made a profit. Um, the crew and myself, we always volunteered our time and you know, that's, that's perfectly fine. It was very much a passion project. Um, we all very much enjoyed the experience. It was a lot of work, um, but we did enjoy the experience. Um, but, you know, once you do it for a couple of years and, you know, people start asking you to do it more and more, you start to realize, like, you know, my time is worth something. And if I'm going to keep doing these, like, I got to I got to pay myself something. Um, so I would have to charge more for one. And then once you get into charging people money, there are some interesting kind of bureaucratic hurdles, um, which 
I could not personally solve, nor do I think they would ever be solved under the current um, various administrations. So you have public lands, you have provincial and national parks that the, the route goes through. Um, so you need permits, and in order to have permits, you need appropriate levels of insurance, uh, which is very difficult to justify with one tour a year. Um, and then you also have the, the, the extra variable of going across the U.S. border, um, which is, is, is going to be honest, is a nightmare when it comes to insurance. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's not me being naive. I did research this to the, the nth degree, but uh, could never come up with a solution for the years that we did it. Um, so, you know, I was always very transparent with our, with our clients. I said, you know, we don't have the insurance, we don't have the permits, and we're kind of flying under the radar. And uh, it got to the point where, you know, economics aside, I just, I didn't want to be that guy, you know, that I, I did want to, to some extent, um, if I was running a commercial operation, um, do things by the book. Um, although I think the book should be a little more open for those sorts of things. Um, it unfortunately is not. So, you know, rounding back to that question, would you ever do it again? Um, my answer would be, I am open to it. Um, uh, we would charge more than we have in the past, for sure, uh, to make it viable for our crew. Um, but what I'll say is, is I will not overly kind of justify my answer, but I'll say is if you do have an interest in being a part of a supported Great Divide Tour, um, one, the, the Adventure Cycling Association has been running... Uh, a semi-supported tour for the last uh, several years so that is an option but if you want to do it with us um, shoot me an email um, my email address is info at bikepack.ca and uh, just let me know and uh, we'll start putting a list together um, I don't know if we'll do the same route uh, maybe it'll just be a, a US route a US section and uh, to be honest I, I think that's the most viable route to take this um, but shoot me an email, and uh, we'll look at maybe doing something in uh, August 2018. Cool. Thank you for asking everyone that has. I appreciate it. It's a, it's a vote of confidence for the work we've done in the past. Next question is um, one that comes up. Um, it came up actually this week. Uh, so with our supported road cycling camp, um, you know, we, we had vehicles with uh, um all sorts of sport drinks and, uh, you know, just kind of whole food options, you know, granola bars and chips and gummies and, and all sorts of things. And that wasn't necessarily my doing. That was the, the lead coach buying all those things. And, uh, you know, of course, all the while I'm wearing my full hammer nutrition kit and uh, people are seeing me eating these things and they're going, you know, why aren't you uh, just eating hammer products the whole time or, or using hammer products? Um so this kind of leads off to a question. Well, for one, I didn't bring anything with me. It's it's heavy to carry jugs of, of you know, perpetuum on the plane. So that's why I didn't have it here down with me. And uh, one, I think it's important uh, when, you're, when your exertion is at a certain level where you're not huffing and puffing, that you, you take the time to enjoy whole food options. Um, and when I say whole food, I, I don't necessarily mean just junk like the, the gummies and chips, but, you know, things that are, you know, you can buy in a grocery store and that are kind of normal, um, uh, you know, part of your diet. So, you know, speaking specifically on the, the bike packing side of things, um, the question I get asked is, um, what is your take on bike packing nutrition coming from a guy that works for Hammer Nutrition? 
So on on paper, you know, I could tell someone that our perpetuum drink, which is like a meal in a bottle, uh, 270 calories, it's got carbs, protein, and fat, um, and some other elements, is 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 ideal and uh you know could fuel you all the way from Banff to mexico um or the arizona trail or, or whatever bikepacking adventure you're taking on um it could definitely do the job but the problem that um me prescribing that knowledge um yeah so the problem with me telling you that is is that the, the reality of you actually finding perpetuum along the route is 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 pretty well close to zero um, for, for most of the bikepacking routes that I'm familiar with. Um, the other piece of that is that it's not realistic for me, and nor strategic for me to say, you know, you should carry uh, 10 pounds of perpetuum um, mix on your back in like a backpack or something. It's just, it's not, it's not... You know, the, the nutrition advice is sound, but the, the reality is, is it, it's not there. So, um, you know, for those of you that saw the, the Trans Am doc, uh, Inspired to Ride, you might remember seeing, jeez, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, Mike, or uh, no, Jason, um, the Hammer Lane, um, was going on a liquid nutrition diet and was carrying all his powders with him and uh, was getting restocked at uh, post offices uh, along the route. And, uh, yeah, I was really trying to do it on liquid nutrition, and I think that was knowledge that he was bringing from having done uh, the race across America, um, which, you know, coincidentally is, is where I got onto the liquid nutrition idea. Um, but, you know, you, you saw the challenges that he faced. It was, it was a lot of weight for him to carry. Um, you're at the whim of the, the post office um, along the way that are, that are, are open or, or not open. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember where that conversation get, got left off in the documentary, but if I recall, I think he kind of realized that it, it probably wasn't the smartest move. Um, it did work for him, but it probably um, he, would, he would do it differently in the future. So my take on bikepacking nutrition is um, you're at the whim of, of what's along the route, really. Because, you know, for most of us, you can only carry enough um, food for... For one to two days, I find uh, with the packs that we're we're using, um, especially if you're not, uh, you know, taking like a stove and, and freeze dried meals. So, you know, you're at the whim of convenience stores and uh, you know backcountry lodges and that sort of thing. And uh, what are they carrying? Well, it's you know a lot of carbohydrates and uh, junk food, and uh, you know that's that's kind of the 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 diet that we joke about um that's you know become kind of the bike packer diet is that junk the the gummy bears and the chips and uh the rock star drinks and that sort of thing and um do do i use those sort of things um yes of course uh, tons of it you know my i think of my body sometimes as like uh you know the delorean from back to the future it's sometimes it feels like um you know that energy system where you can just dump the garbage can into it and somehow miraculously it, it converts it to energy um, so for those of us that can do it, it's, it seems to work. Um, I find personally that your metabolism gets to the point, um, especially after you've been going for about four days, that the, the energy gets burned so quickly. It doesn't have time, like your body doesn't have enough time to process that it's, um, you know, junk food or whatever. It's, it's, it's honestly just views it as calories in, calories out. And, uh, you know, I've gotten flack in the past for 
you know, taking pictures of like candy bars and chips and, you know, look at my haul for the next leg. But, you know, the reality is, is that um, it's a very compact um, source of uh, calories. It's uh, cheaper than buying a granola bar um, that might be pitched as healthier, but I can absolutely tell you is not. Um, where am I going with this? But I think I'm trying to defend the junk food diet. Um, I think, you know, if, if we had more, you know, traditional grocery stores and uh, diners and things like that along along our routes, um, I would definitely say, you know, stop and, and utilize those, you know, get some better quality foods in your system. Um, but as far as the type of calories that are coming into your body, like I said, they, they're burned off very quickly. So let's get away from the type of calories coming in as far as like junk food or whole food because like I said you're at the whim so I think a more interesting part of this discussion is the the ketosis side of this and if you know some of the uh, well-known bike packers in the community are are big advocates for ketosis so a fat burning diet Um, and this is something that we talk about in the hammer nutrition world uh, when I'm dealing with athletes like triathletes and um, you know folks doing shorter events um, it's interesting. The, the fat-burning stuff uh, has me intrigued. And obviously, if it, if it was the go-to solution, uh, there would be no hammer nutrition. There would be no power bars, no cliff bars. Um, everyone would just you know eat pads of butter and uh, depend on body fat. Um, so what do, I, what do I think of ketosis or fat-burning diet? Um, I, I like the idea in theory. Um, I very much do. Uh, it very much plays to the, the primal instincts of, uh, you know, our, our forefathers and, you know, folks that would go great distances without um, ever eating carbs. Um, so it seems more natural. Um, it seems healthier to me. Um, but the reality is, is, is kind of where I round back with, with most folks is that, you are, if you go that approach, you are a fat-burning athlete in a carbohydrate world. So there's nothing in our world that's working in your favor, um, and you are creating a lot of work for yourself in order to do a fat-burning diet, so sticking away from you know, simple sugar carbs and, and complex carbs. So you're making it very difficult for yourself. Um, so I would never take on that kind of diet for a race. Um, I never want to be uh, picky about what's coming into my system. I just want to make sure it's something that I want to eat, um, that it's you know relatively healthy, um, and that it's going to fuel me for the long haul. Beyond that, I, I don't pay much attention to it. Um, you know, if you're just touring, what do I think of the fat burning or ketosis diet? Um, I, I still I think you're at the whim of, of what's along the route. Um, you know, the one theory is that you can go further on your body fat stores and don't have to stop as often. Um, you know, all the science out there says that is not a switch that you make overnight. Um, and the amount of people that I know that have successfully taught their bodies to be exclusively fat burning is such a small percentage that you can't necessarily consider that a viable option um, because there's, I don't think there's enough um, enough of a case study uh, behind it. So, yeah, so for one, you have to train your body to be able to burn just fats. And, um, you know, quite often I find that 
when you do these longer events or or tours your body does get into a state where it's it's you know even if you're doing just carbs you, you probably have turned your train your body to burn more fat because um, out of necessity you are burning a lot of internal reserves um, versus a, a shorter event where you're you're burning more muscle glycogen that you've stored from your your whatever you ate three hours before so whether you, you intended to or not you turn into a fat burning machine um, but it's not a diet I would personally prescribe to um, I it's just I think you're limiting yourself um, and like I said, it, it kind of rounds back to you are, um, uh, you are, um, you know, uh, trying to be a caveman in a carbohydrate world, a caveman diet in a carbohydrate world. So it's, it's like being the non-smoker in a room full, filled with smokers. And, um, if you're racing, I, I honestly, I don't think you're really setting yourself up for success. So um, there's that piece of it. And then the science of it is actually, um, so I've had this conversation with some Olympic athletes, is that the fat-burning diet is good for endurance. It's great for endurance. Um, but once you get up into the higher heart rate zones or sprint efforts, um, the science has shown that you cannot produce the same um, output. Um, so st- same high energy efforts um, on the fat burning diet not that we ever get into that in the bike packing conversation but it, it is something to to consider um, especially for those in training and, and doing shorter uh, mountain bike races so I, I don't know what question I answered there but I think I answered a few ketosis is interesting but um, personally for me I don't think it's a, a viable way to approach um, bikepacking it's it's an interesting way to approach general diet but uh, not it's not something I would do as an athlete all right uh, moving on what's the next question here uh, oh yeah how are things coming along with the guidebook yeah anytime you write a book you're gonna get a lot of people asking you how you know how are things coming along with the book and um, it always takes longer than you're thinking um, so my deadline for getting the guidebook in was uh, April 1st uh, uh, we're now, uh, geez, where are we here? We're now April 22nd and it is not done. So I asked for an extension to, uh, May 1st and, uh, there were some last minute changes that I've, I've had to contend with and I've realized I'll always be contending with, but, uh, learned through Alberta parks that one of the roads that I utilize for my, two of my routes, um, is probably going to be closing and turn into a wildlife corridor. So, um, last minute I had to change a couple of my routes. Um, so long story short, the guidebook, um, still in the works, going to be submitted, uh, May 1st. So the manuscript, um, but, uh, yeah, I've got all the GPX files done. Um, most of the route knowledge done. Um, the one big piece that I'm missing, and, and I could definitely use the community's help on this is if you have any photos of you, uh, bike packing anywhere in the Canadian Rockies, um, and they're of a you know decent quality. Please send them to me. Uh, so again, info at bikepack.ca, um, because I would say the one area where I'm kind of hurting right now that I will need to spend some more time on is getting some uh, quality uh, photos for the book. Okay. One of the questions. Okay, another question is, what do you do for training over the winter? Um, well. 
uh, like I said earlier, uh, at the start of the podcast, I, I try to get down here to carefree, um, usually for a month or two, like, uh, you know, a good old retiree, um, I try to get in a lot of base miles. Um, that's how I approached the last tour divide. Um, that's how I approached the Arizona trail last year. Um, but something that I, I've come to realize over the last year is, is I've got some pretty, um, pretty considerable strength imbalances in my legs from my front to back. I'm pretty quad dominant and I, I don't have a lot of strength in my, um, glute muscles. So my butt muscles, uh, something that I want to work on. Um, so I actually spent most of this winter. Um, the only time I was on a bike was when I did the Icefield Parkway back in February. Um, the rest of the time, um, was actually strength training. So in a gym hitting the weights and, uh, so, you know, lower, a lower weight, but a higher, higher rep count. Uh, so try not to build a ton of bulk. Uh, unfortunately, my body is still, you know, thinks it's a hockey player. So the bulk comes, but strength training, um, some plyometrics. So working on kind of dynamic strength, not just, you know, trying to build big muscles and, um, trying to correct those imbalances, um, and lots of trail running, so trying to keep uh, the weight down that way and keeping my my cardio up. But but honestly, I think you know one thing I learned this year is is that you don't you don't have to be on a bike year round. Um, I think that's a misconception. I think it's important to stay active year round, but I, I don't think there's a value in being on a bike year round. Um, you'll you'll develop great cardio and uh, some kind of sports specific muscles. But any imbalances that you do have, um, you know, my case being kind of a classic example with knees and my, my butt muscles, is that um, any imbalances that you do have, you, you're not going to correct them by just keeping on doing what you've always been doing. Um, so you need to kind of put aside what you think is, is the norm and uh, do what you think is right for you. And, uh, yeah, like I said, trail running and... Uh, and, and late weightlifting made sense to me this year. And it's, uh, you know, a similar lesson I would apply to, to the years moving forward is, you know, bike, bike when it's warm out and uh, mix it up with um, uh, weight training and other activities uh, in the off-season. Um, let's see here. What is your next big adventure? I get to ask this every talk I do, every talk, um, almost every conversation. What's your next big adventure? Uh, you know, what are you writing now? Um, so the, the next big adventure is finishing the guidebook. Uh, last week it was finishing my taxes. This week it's finishing the guidebook. Um, I, this year I've kind of called it an off year. Um, it's, I don't know. Sarah kind of jokes at me. She's like, this is not an off year. Maybe it's a slower year. Or build maybe a build year. Build year makes more sense. So um, I still have a lot on the go. So after the guidebook, um, I've got some rescouts that I've got to do. Um, you know, for bits and pieces of the route that I've I've changed over the winter. Um, I'm gonna see if I can get one of our former podcast guests out, uh, special guests out on a bikepacking trip. Um, that would be pretty cool if we can connect the dots on that. I might. I, I, this kind of came up last week, but I, I might do a, a ITT, so an individual time trial of the Alberta Rockies uh, 700 route. 
Um, I wanted to do the race again this year and kind of better my result, my uh, second place finish uh, from last year. Um, but it falls, it's just a little too close to 24 hours of adrenaline, which I've already committed to. Um, it would give me like a week recovery. So I think, uh, Jonathan, if you're listening, I, I'm really, I'm considering doing an ITT maybe two or three weeks out. And uh, maybe I can do a podcast, uh, which uh, can give folks who have never done the route uh, a heads up on what to expect, you know, what's open and the conditions uh, that I faced uh, during the ITT. So doing that, uh, 24 hours of adrenaline, which is uh, mid-July. Again, another second place finish, uh, trying to better that. And then um, going to take on the Hurt in Alberta. So the local bikepacking race out on the front range of the Rockies. Um, in and around Calgary, uh, that's in July. Um, yeah, and then you know, just kind of really turning my f- attention to the Tour Divide uh, for 2018. Which um, you know, for anyone that's done it, it's 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 uh, you know, it's it's a commitment that you don't make. You know, a few months out, your your mind's in it. I would say at least six months out. So uh, yeah, not an off year, but we'll call it a build year. Um, Okay, this is in the next question I debated about answering, but um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll take it on. I don't know if it's going to be the right answer, but it's it's the answer that comes to mind. Um, I had I've had a few folks recently ask me my thoughts on road safety, and this is kind of timely, just having come on off a road cycling camp, um, and more specifically, kind of surrounding. Um, my call, the unfortunate passing of my call um, a couple weeks ago um, while I was doing the race in uh, the Indian Pacific uh, wheel, uh, race in Australia and uh, got hit by a car and, and killed is just tragic. Um, so I apologize. I, whatever answer comes out next, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be diplomatic and I don't mean to offend anyone, but I'm, I'm going to tell you what's on my mind. And at the same time, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm respectful to, um, you know, the folks that are still very much into road racing and uh, to the legacy uh, of my call. Um, so, so I'm going to maybe I'll back up here. So I want to try to get on um, Mike Dion on a podcast here and hopefully it'll be the night, next podcast. And um, it'd be great to chat with him about his experience um, working with Mike uh, in the lead up to the the Trans Am race, so for the, all the footage that he shot for the Inspired to Ride, and also I believe for the Bike Packing Secrets project, um, I I want to do a, a podcast with him and, and kind of get to know Mike a little bit better through um, um, through Mike Dion, and um, because honestly I never met. Uh, Mr. Hall, um, I, 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 like many, just knew of his incredible feats on the, the Divide Road and uh, many, many routes, really, uh, setting course records. And uh, when, when I heard of, of his passing, um, you know, like many of us, um, you know, I teared up. It was, it was a shock, and it, it was very apparent the impact that uh, uh, this man had had on uh, all of our lives. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll save that conversation for for my uh, for my chat with Mike Dion if we can make that happen, or, or another rider, or someone else in the community. Uh, sorry. Um, so yeah. So what I'll say now is, 
I want to I want it to be known that what happened to him was was an absolute tragedy. Um, it rocked me like everyone else, and um, in- incredibly sad. So know that before you, you pass judgment on what I say next. So um, I'll, I'll round back to my thoughts on road safety and. and, and to give you some background, I, I have worked behind the scenes um, in various community groups that have worked on policy, on bike lanes, um, and infrastructure, and um, have seen the, the, the wins and losses and uh, how incredibly difficult it is to, to, to get bureaucratic things passed. Um, so I want you to know that I have had experience, but I also want you to know that I have stepped away from doing that sort of stuff, uh, just because I don't, I don't operate very well within a, a bureaucratic um, system. Um, I'm much more... Uh, I like to make decisions in the moment very quickly. I don't, I don't like uh, having to fill out a ton of paperwork and go to council and just go through a huge tremendous process i I like uh getting things done quickly and unfortunately anything to do with uh policy and and bike lanes and all that stuff it it takes it takes forever so first you know all the power to the folks that are still fighting um still fighting those fights but my my thoughts my thoughts on on this stuff so road safety um you know what? I, I there was a time when I thought I would do a race like the Trans Am, um, but I think what after what happened to Mike, um, I don't think you'll ever see me in a self-supported road race, bike packing road race ever. Um, and the unfortunate thing that happens is you know Mike will inspire a lot of people, but it, to do things, but he'll also for me he inspired me not to do something and uh what he reminded me of and the unfortunate thing that happened was was that when you when you push to the level that you have to push to win these sorts of things or do well at them and you have you have to also put this in perspective of a guy who's done the race across america with a full support crew when i did that you know like day even after the first couple of days you're bleary-eyed you can barely see the road at night you're partly hallucinating and now to do that self-supported on a road you know in Mike's situation that that didn't have um you know I don't think it had very specific bike lanes as, as I understood it or awareness for cyclists you know would I ever want to put myself in that shoes to be self-supported I don't think so I don't think I would ever do it honestly um, and it's not to take away from the folks that are organizing those sorts of events. Um, I know there's still very much an interest in doing that sort of thing. But what I know what can happen to a person's mind in that scenario, and it's not just on the riders, it's not just the riders' responsibility, it's also the cars driving by, their responsibility. Um, so I'm not placing blame on the rider. But just knowing what your body goes through in those extreme conditions... For, for a bike packing race, you'll you'll never see me on the road. I, and I'm I'm just gonna be honest. I'm gonna tell you that now. And and that's that's what I took out of the, you know, what happened to Mike. And uh, that was a big lesson, um, big lesson for me. As far as the the policy side of things, um, and the bureaucratic side of things, 
my experience in, in that world is a little jaded, I'm going to be honest. Um, my experience has been, if it, it, it really feels like something that politicians use as, as a marketing gimmick, um, you know, hey, look, I'm building bike lanes or I'm a supporter of that. And it, it, it kind of rallies the, the active community. And if, if, if you, where am I taking this? If you gave me a check for $100 million, you said, Ryan, what, do you, what would you do with this to make the world a safer place for cyclists? I can tell you right now, I would not put a single penny of that into bike lanes. I absolutely would not. Now, does that mean that that conversation and the work of the folks doing that sort of stuff is not absolutely critical? No, it very much is. Um, you know, the conversation around bike lanes and, 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 and making those sorts of things happen is a very important piece of making people um, respect the fact that we also deserve a place on the road, uh, for one. Um, and it's a very critical piece in uh, further uh, getting people to be physically active. So that conversation and the work of those folks is absolutely critical. I, I can't be a part of it anymore. I just, I just don't operate well in that. And again, like I said, if you gave me a $100 million check, what would I spend it on? Not a cent on that. What I would spend it on, and it's going to sound like way out there, but it, in everything that I've seen, if you gave me that kind of money, I would be walking right into uh, um, Mr. Musk's headquarters at Tesla and giving it right to him and saying, can you further develop you know, these cars into self-driving cars? Um, and, and to be honest, uh, you know, having, been on, having come from a road cyclist you know, background to begin with, and ridden on the road, you know, I think it's safe to say more miles than most. Um, I would not spend a cent on bike lane infrastructure. I would put my money on one thing, and that would be on self-driving cars. Because if we're being honest with ourselves, um, you got to take the human decision or indecision out of the equation because that's the only thing that's going to really solve... Um, the, the deaths that we're, we're getting on the road and it's, it might sound futuristic and weird to some folks out there it's, it's a reality that's closer than you'd think and if you had that $100 million check it's a more reasonable um, way to invest your money because bike lanes are a hell of a lot further behind than the technology that's going on in cars. And I think it's important to take the human element out of it as soon as possible. And, uh, you know, and again, to put this in perspective, you know, you're, this is coming from a guy that, you know, I'm in a road cycling camp in Arizona. The bike lanes are, are crap in some places and they're okay in others. And uh, not once during this week did I feel, um, you know, 100% safe. And uh, further to that, I learned during the week while I was here that, um, uh, that it's legal uh, to text and use your phone while you're in the car, which is astonishing, you know, coming from Alberta where, um, you know, the, you, you will get fined and, 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 and or worse for, for doing these sorts of things. So to now know that it's still legal some places is, it blows my mind. It's astonishing. And... Um, 
Yeah. So long story short, I, I don't want to offend anyone. The the bike, you know, politicians and and people doing that work. It's critical to to maintain our place on the road. Uh, it's in critical for uh, promoting physical activity, um, which you know, again, being down in the states is is apparent that it's uh, well, it's it's a problem, and this is not a new problem. Um, but you give me the hundred million dollar check. I'm walking into a bike or into a car manufacturer and giving it right to them and say, build that self-driving car. And that reality will happen far sooner than bike lanes where they need to be. That's it. We need both. We need both. Very easy to say for someone that's, uh, you know, doesn't have a hundred million dollar check and, uh, someone that's not involved in the bureaucracy. Um, so take that, uh, take that for what you will. Um, last question, last question. Um, what's next for bike pack Canada? Um, I've got a new website in the works. Um, we're going to diversify the online store. I, I've gone back and forth on what I want to do with that. And people are like, Hey, you know, why don't you have bags and, bikes and you know kind of parts that are relevant and uh you know trust me if it was easy to get i'd have it on there and uh i know all the ins and outs of that world um but uh online going strictly online is a very touchy subject still for for manufacturers and still in the even in those in the bikepacking community um so we you may start to see some like actual physical products start to show up um, but I think the more the reality in, in kind of the, the new leaf I've turned over is, is I'm going to look at some Bike Pack Canada specific branded stuff. I'm going to get some fun shirts done up, some fun trucker hats, stickers, um, you know, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, I think that's the direction I'm going to take this. Um, stuff that, you know, no one else has. And, th- and that's something that I've kind of always prided on. I- I'm not trying to be better at something that's already out there. You know, if you want to get parts and that, you know, go to Amazon, whatever. You're always going to find a cheaper price. But, uh, you know, Bike Pack Canada specific branded stuff. I-, I think that's where my my passion is these days. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye on the store, on the new site that's in the pipeline. Uh, we'll get some hats and uh, some shirts, um, some fun stuff like that. Uh, the podcast is still very much a focus. I'd like to keep on it uh, once a week. Um, so please, by all means, if you have suggestions on uh, fun interviews, unique interviews, um, please send them my way, uh, especially if you have contacts with those folk. Um, one of the questions I get asked about is organizing events. Um, so will you ever see us organize a, a race? And uh, when I say us, I'm really referring to uh, Sarah and myself right now. Um, I th- when I first started Bikepack Canada, I thought we might, you know, organize our own event at some point. You know, maybe a cross country, uh, cross country trans can race. Um, but you know, as I've come to appreciate and uh, learn, I think where we can best serve the community. I think the way we're going to operate is more on kind of a neutral ground. Is so not to to build events or products that will uh you know honestly compete with 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 other events that are out there and not when i say compete i mean like with their scheduling um so you know having overlapping schedules 
Um, I think, you know, the one event you'll see for the foreseeable future is the bike pack summit. I'd like to, um, keep building that. I don't want to say keep growing it. I, I think building is a better word. Um, there has been interest in doing a, a bike pack summit in the, the East in Ontario. And, uh, so that's not the equation, but I think it's important to definitely get the more of a solid foundation, um, for our, our Canmore, uh, summit. Um, so keep, keep growing that. That's, that's the focus, uh, building that for the foreseeable future. Um, you won't see me doing any events. I'm, uh, races rather. I'm happy to promote them though. Um, speaking of which, um, you know, kind of the immediate goal right now is, is really, um, as far as bike pack summit specific tasks is, is still there's speakers to nail down. Um, and then some uh, partners to get involved for, for swag and for, for doing talks. So, um, please, again, if you have suggestions on, on people that might be want to, might want to be involved and have in, something interesting to say, uh, hit me up info at bikepack.ca. Um, cool. I think I've rambled on for long enough. I'm going to get back to uh, enjoying the carefree lifestyle. Maybe get out for a ride here. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. This has been uh, episode 21 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast. Chat again soon. See you guys.